the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the show. Switching gears and uh, turning to uh, the state of play with COVID-19 vaccinations. Biden administration announcing Tuesday that it would... uh, Purchase an additional 100 million doses of each of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, increasing the total U.S. vaccine order by uh, 50 percent to 600 million doses from 400 million. Let's see if the new CDC director can keep track of the number of doses we have now uh, to distribute. And she was a little bit confused earlier in the week. But um, the stockpile is interesting. The implementation more interesting. And so, for example, In Virginia, hospitals in Virginia no longer able to administer COVID-19 vaccines. Thousands of elderly people are having their vaccine appointments canceled. All COVID-19 vaccines now will go through the local health departments in Virginia, none directly to hospitals. At the before this, the Virginia Hospital Center had been running clinics all day, every day to give people the vaccine. Appointments for the first dose vaccines have been canceled because the hospital won't get it anymore. Northam's Governor Northam's health department also uh, has forbidden people from crossing county lines to get the vaccine. If the county next to you has an abundance of vaccine, you can't get it. Only residents of the county uh, where the uh, vaccine is being distributed can get the vaccine. Everyone has to go through their local health department. Why? How does this make sense? Particularly as we see other states leveraging their private health care infrastructure to distribute the vaccines more effectively, doing a much better job much more quickly and getting high-risk populations vaccinated, like those residents of long-term care facilities, and then moving down the risk plane to those less at risk, places like West Virginia, the Dakotas. For more on this topic, we're pleased to be joined by Lyndon Haviland, Dr. Lyndon Haviland, Distinguished Scholar at the CUNY School of Public Health and Health Policy. Dr. Haviland, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So um, the vaccine distribution, it's, uh, I think it's a little perplexing to a lot of people as we're getting stories from different states doing it differently, some seemingly more effective than others, and yet uh, those states that are most effective, uh, the model they have is not necessarily being followed by states that have proven less effective, like, say, Virginia. Well, Dan, you have put your hand right on the biggest problem we face, as usual, which is that when we have a state-by-state strategy, chaos erupts. On some level, it's great that states can plan based on their reality. And as you point out, North Dakota, South Dakota, West Virginia, New Mexico, states that are not usually in the top ten are doing extremely well. They're doing well because they have plan, they have leadership. New Mexico is like many states. They have put together a registry where you can log in, you can put in your information. Are you healthcare personnel? Do you live in a long-term facility? Are you a frontline worker? Do you have underlying medical conditions? And what is your zip code? And so then it, that registry 
informs you when you might be able to get a vaccine. So I think states that have taken this very strong approach have seen great results like North Dakota and West Virginia. The issue, though, has been, as you point out, the changing number of vaccine doses actually available. So many states have had a little chaos where they were planning for uh, a certain number of vaccinations and the vaccine supplies have not arrived. It's very encouraging that the Biden administration has increased their um, order for vaccines. And it's also very encouraging that perhaps later this week we'll get the results from the Johnson & Johnson um, vaccine trials. And that vaccine, of course, is not a two-shot vaccine. It's a one-shot vaccine. And so just, again, going to other states and, and the different approaches, uh, we see in Oregon that are weighing race-based vaccine preferences. Uh, Chicago, Mayor Lori Lightfoot in Chicago has suggested something along those lines, too, using equity as a consideration. I mean, is it uh, sensible, more sensible, even if it's not going to be federal, federally mandated, to say, here's what we know. We know that the risk increases exponentially as you go up age demographics. So let's focus on the people that are most at risk, and that's by age, not by race, and let's work down by age. Well, actually, I think the point is to look at, like, who is most impacted. We know that when you're using an equity lens like Oregon or Chicago, we are seeing a disproportionate impact on communities of color. And so you really need to look at what are the overall rates of disease in your community, which is why, actually, a state-by-state plan makes the most sense, although it should be guided by the science, and the science is about the rates of disease in your state and in your community. But, but don't you have to, t- I'm sorry to interrupt, but don't you have to t- sort of take a general approach? I mean, you can't really do a workup on, like, for example, in Illinois, 13 million people. So you have to say, well, wait, here's what we know, whether you're, you're black or you're white or you're Latino, if you're over 70, you're in, in you know, your priority because you're in the highest risk category, and it's exponentially more then the next age demographic down and, and, and then so forth down to kids. I mean, doesn't that make more sense than, you know, trying to quantify, qualify who is necessarily obese and how much, if you'll pardon the pun, weight that should be given to your prioritization and, and so on and so forth. It just seems then you get into all of these variables that just make it very complicated to prioritize. I don't think the health department thinks it's that complicated. When the, when the health department is gathering data that demonstrates what's happening in their jurisdiction, where they are seeing that it is not where the number one issue is about race, I think minority populations who are, first of all, they're often disproportionately healthcare personnel. So they are healthcare workers. And what we're seeing right now, I mean, I'm actually more concerned in places where healthcare workers, because they are on the front lines, are not getting access to these vaccines. And 30% of healthcare workers in some states are saying, no, I don't want that vaccine because of vaccine hesitancy. And vaccine hesitancy, as you know, is a real issue where especially, which is why I find it fascinating that North Dakota and West Virginia have done so well on vaccine delivery, because it's in rural populations that we're seeing the greatest amount of vaccine hesitancy, where people are afraid of vaccine. Although in in New York, uh, it was reported in the Post this week, 44% of long-term care workers uh, are now inoculated. That's up slightly from 37%, but it's still a real problem in New York City. 
Exactly. And, and again, that goes to the issue of who are those long-term care workers. Often they are um, Latino or African-American, or, um, and they have a justified and historic mistrust of the health care system. People are saying, well, why, would the, why would the government give a vaccine? For free. Well, and but look, if if they want to pass, unless and until unless we want to talk about mandating it, if they want to pass, then you know you go to next in line, right? We don't have time to goof around about this. No, you're exactly correct, but it is an issue where I think a centrally uh, done campaign of communication about the safety of these vaccines would be really helpful, and so that's why in some places you're seeing specific outreach to communities with targeted messages about vaccine safety and about the idea that by taking this vaccine, you are protecting yourself and protecting others. She is Dr. Lyndon Haviland, Distinguished Scholar at the CUNY School of Public Health and Health Policy. Dr. Haviland, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Dan, thanks for having me. Have a lovely day. You too. Take care. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, Political fakers, fixers, and takers. He's Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show.